You're listening to the State of Love and Trust, a Pearl Jam podcast. Follow the show on social media and remember to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on your podcast platform of choice. Now, here's Jason and Paul. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of The State of Love and Trust. It's a Pearl Jam podcast, and I'm one of your two hosts, Jason Carapesi, and alongside me, as always, is... Paul Gilleary. Paul, I don't know if you know this, but Anderson Valley makes a beer that is not the Winter Solstice, and I am drinking one of those beers right now. You got the, the Amber? It's the Pilsner. Oh, I have yet to have the Pilsner. I, I found it at Whole Foods, and it made me think, um, oh, yeah, they make other beers that aren't the solstice and i looked it yes. up on on the, the total Bo- wine amber they've got uh couple yeah of, they, they they've got a um they've got a sour a hazy yeah, sour there's a hazy sour and then they, they do uh what is, is it it's a, a goes a go what is it uh, yes the goes yeah yeah and they do it at no meal stout too uh-huh uh-huh all right you're up in your game buddy i have to ah <laughs> uh, how are you guys doing out there it's uh, what is it? Uh, how's how's your Mother's Day, huh? Yeah, happy belated Mother's Day yeah, to all of our listeners who who collect that honor, deservedly so. Uh, happy Mother's Day, of course. Uh, if you are a mother, you know, if you know a mother, if you are from a mother, you should be, you know, <laughs> celebrating that fact. We had a little brunch with uh, my mom and and my wife. Uh, I, I imagine you did the whole breakfast in bed and the whole, you had a whole sh- regalia, I'm sure. I, I did. You did you really? You I, totally I, I did the breakfast <laughs> in bed thing. Yeah. Yeah, I you did. did. Yeah, you did. <laughs> um, well, by the way, were you Axel Rose at the, uh, at no, the- it was, it was a Woodstock theme. So my, oh. my daughter's school does this big gala and it's a big fundraising event mm-hmm. and, uh, Every year is a different theme. Like last year was 80s night. This year was Woodstock, right? So I found some like $20 Woodstock costume online. And yeah. so did my wife. And we, we went in like late 60s garb. I like it. Yeah, it was cool. I- it's it's nice, man. It's like the, there's an auction there. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a, a catered, catered dinner. And it's a big social event and uh, raises a lot of money for the, for the school. It allows Very cool. us to... Put in the enrichment for the kids. So uh, those of you listening who have kids, you know, uh, get involved, you know, be, be, be a part of something special at your children's school. It makes a big difference when you have all hands on deck. And sometimes you're shamed into that fate. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, well, like we are. That's, at, a, that's uh, a different conversation. <laughs> the, uh, my, my, my oldest uh, school has what's called, they call it the world fair. It's kind of a big deal in the area. Uh, as I'm sure you well know, uh, not not you the listener, but you Paul. Um, mm-hmm. as our kids' schools are not too far apart, and uh, that's coming up this Saturday. And I'm uh, I volunteered to do something. I don't know what the hell I'm doing. If I'm well, tearing you're, down you're, a booth, or I'm not sure what's going on. But you're questioning your education. Is your education who you are now, Jason? While you're deciding, you've been finding, looking around, and here and now. 
Always, always pivoting. Always uh, yeah, pivoting. always pivoting. Yeah, that's well, not a segue though, because that, we, that is not no, our life cut of the week. It is not. It is not. We've already done that song, I believe. Yes, we have. We um, you know, today as you're listening to this is the what, what year is this? The twenty third, right? Twenty third uh, anniversary of Binaural, May sixteenth, two thousand. Binaural came out, and um. You know, we we we've we've done the retracking already. That was actually the first one we ever did because That's of right. all the extra um, songs that were available in the original track listing before they remixed it with Brendan O'Brien in Atlanta because they didn't like how some of the rockier songs sounded from Chad Blake's mix and yada yada yada. So we decided to ask ourselves a couple of questions about the album. And one of them is a what if, which we haven't done in a little while, and one of them is the over-under. So, mm-hmm. and obviously the live cut will come from this, from this, uh, recording session as well. So let's get into that first. Actually, I, I should back up. I should back up before we get into the first topic here. The, what if, uh, anybody who has left a review, you are a doll and you are entered to win a copy of Stephen Hyden's long road. I've, I was reading some earlier, Paul, they are getting better and better uh each time uh one is posted and if you would want to uh have win that copy of long road send us a review you know be the algorithm just feed it yeah not hard so yeah we well, let's say let's say there's a week to go oh one week to go you've had it you've had a couple of weeks already one more week the whole month of may was your opportunity so June 1st deadline, boom, get it in before June 1st and you are entered to win. And we'll pick somebody that we think has a great in it to win it. That's right. That's how it works. Isn't that, wasn't the old like uh, lottery slogan? It you was. Don't it, you don't win if yeah. you don't play. Correct. Yeah. All right. So thank you to anybody who's written a review for the algorithm. If you're a patron, double thank you to you. And that's it. Okay, cool. So. The what if, Paul? What is the what if this week? The what if? You know, you think about an album like Binaural, polarizing album in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. uh, but it's hard to separate Binaural from the recording process that was <laughs> the Binaural uh, approach to to trying to capture that sound. And, uh, it, you know, when you think about this, like, what if Chad Blake never produced this record? What if they had gone back to the well with Brendan O'Brien and Chad Blake had never produced binaural. What if, Jason? What if? Well, this was a tricky what if because of what you just said. It, it's they 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 deliberately backed away from from Brendan O'Brien, mm-hmm. um, and so you one would assume that if they decided to not back away from him, they would continue with him. Um, now they said they were looking for a change. So maybe I'll throw another wrinkle in there. Let's say they really did want to make a change, but it, they didn't they didn't want to choose Chad Blake. So let's think about some of their friends and contemporaries and albums that came out around that time that maybe they could be like, "Hey, you know, give me give me a reference on on this guy." So let's think about some of their contemporaries. The Red Hot Chili Peppers. They had an album come out right around that time, 1999's California Occasion. Good record. Produced by Rick Rubin. 
I don't know. I guess I'm of two minds. I immediately I was like, "There's no way they'd work with Rick Rubin." You don't think? I so? think that I think it would be it would be too much. I don't know. I think I think Rick would rub him the wrong way. Okay. But then I was like, you know, Rick likes to set the guardrails and then just leave the guys to their own devices, and then come in and throw his, you know shaman-like opinion down and then walk away again. Maybe that would work. I don't know, because mm. Brendan's very hands-on and quick, and, and Rick is not quick. So maybe that would be the opposite to Brendan. Maybe that would be a good idea. I don't know. Or, think about the last Soundgarden record that was uh, down on the upside back in 1996. Mm-hmm. That was produced by Adam Casper, who obviously the band worked with before i think briefly uh and then obviously again on the avocado record so that would have been a choice they could have gone for now all the albums that pearl jam and uh brendan o'brien and casper have done are very direct they're upbeat so perhaps maybe the slower more experimental tracks Maybe they don't make the record at all. Maybe sleight of hand of the girl, nothing as it seems. Maybe those are out. Maybe like maybe they're on the cutting room floor. Okay. Maybe maybe sad, fatal, indoor education come back in. I don't know. I mean, I think Ed, despite his writer's block, was in a fairly pissed headspace. I mean, you got songs like Insignificance, Grievance, Breaker Fall. All kind of aggro. Uh, you got mm-hmm. Jeff's God's Dice, Matt's Evacuation, Stone's Rival, all on the you know the hairy side, if that makes sense. So, do you think they still write those more experimental, open songs with those producers and just sit on them because it doesn't fit the vibe that those producers are? You know, if, if it's Casper or Ruben or Brendan Bryan. Do you think they're pushing a more upbeat, direct rock and roll approach and those are shelved or what do you think? Uh, well, you know, Eddie said that the, uh, that the recording of this record was uh, the making of this album was a, a construction job. Yes. Right. And that they felt like it was time to try something new as Stone put it. You've mentioned being ready for a change. Um. I think that the, this binaural recording technique, where you have the two microphones creating this 3D stereophonic sound, uh, they did that on a number of tracks. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, Stone said about Chad Blake, he said he was just there for us the whole time, wanting us to create different moods. It's a very moody record. I don't think anybody would disagree with that statement. But I think that... Um, it was healthy in the sense that there was a lot going on at the time. Uh, you had Mike checking into uh, rehab for an addiction to prescription meds. You had uh, Matt jumping in to record after having toured with them during the the, the backside of the, the Yield tour when, when Jack Irons left the band because of that aforementioned touring schedule. Uh, and then obviously, you know, working with somebody new who I think that there was, there was this inclination for Chad to kind of, you know, you're working with the band for the first time, you know, and, and you kind of see them in what is clearly a vulnerable state. Uh, you know, lead singer's got writer's block and the guy's literally you know, 
locking himself into uh into or, or you know or locking himself out i should say from from playing a guitar which ultimately leads to him picking up a, another string yeah. instrument in this case the ukulele uh which we'll get into that we'll go down that rabbit hole some other what if but <laughs> <laughs> i think with with this particular album it's hard to not separate the recording process from the final product and i think that if they had stuck it out with with uh, Brendan O'Brien or gone in a different direction. I am not sure. Uh, definitely not with Brendan. I don't think Brendan necessarily would have, you know, m- maybe he would have, this is probably not, not a fair assertion, but uh, I wonder, I, sh- I wonder if he would have taken the same approach where he would have kind of encouraged them to create different moods. Um, uh, and I do think songs like sad and some of these other ones that I, I have a hard time seeing Brendan like, you know, really pushing to have songs like that not included on the record uh i i just think that uh, you know when when you think about the fact that the album was mixed at sunset sound factory here in la with chad blake but then they ended up not being happy with how the mixes turned out mm-hmm. and that uh you know they thought that chad's work worked well it complemented the slower tracks um but it didn't really work well on the heavier ones so then what did they do? They went right back to Brendan O'Brien, right? And then he remixed the tracks at Southern in Atlanta for the, those heavier ones. And uh, I think it was with him that they kind of finalized the sequencing of the album. But the recording was done at that point. So it just goes to show you that, you know, if they had stuck it out with Brendan, I think we get a very different record. I think that uh, the, the sequencing is probably different if Brendan had been involved from the get-go. The original sequencing for this record is actually not the sequencing that we end up with. I'm sure a lot of Pearl Jam fans listening know that. But well, so what about those experimental open tracks that worked with Chad's technique? If he's not involved at all, because I, I mean, look again, look, it does nothing as it Ryan seems. Williams told us what's about, that? Think about what Ryan Williams and Josh have told us about um, Brendan's uh, producing technique. It's like boom, 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 boom. Yeah, you're not going to get a jam session like of the girl. That's what I'm saying. So like, you're not getting those songs or if they were like kind of demoed by, you know, Stone's got a demo of the girl. Because remember, they they came in with pieces, right? And then it was chopping and changing. But like, if Stone comes in with that thing and it's not hitting Brendan's ear, then it's not making the record. So like, what songs do we, are, are not on the record anymore? Like I said, are those Slatted hand of the girl, nothing as it seems. Are those just off on Lost Dogs? And we're like, ooh, those are gems. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it's the, it's the yeah. reverse conversation. You know, we talk about the, the original track listing and wondering why the hell sad is off off the thing. It's like, what's the what's the Brendan O'Brien <laughs> track listing? Well, not only that, but I mean, does Brendan help unlock writer's block for Ed? in a different way, you know? True. Um, I think, you know, songs like, like Insignificance and, and Grievance, which had music to begin with, but lacked lyrics, uh, do, do those songs become something else under, under Brendan's stewardship? Um, I mean, I don't think, you know, working with a different producer is going to get in the way of, or in any way, shape or form, alter Mike checking himself in a rehab. Right. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, it's just, you know, Stone saying that everyone was not on the same page with Mike not being there. 
and and you know being familiarized with 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 Matt. I mean, all this stuff is there's a lot of variables. A role. Yeah, there's a bunch of variables, and I think familiarity with a producer like Brendan it changes yes. the dynamic when you have a new drummer like Matt. Whereas if you have a new producer and a new drummer, I mean, it's 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 game changer. So. And th- that that's exactly what I was going to ask you. Is like you know if if they knew about Mike heading into rehab, and obviously they knew that Matt was a new variable into the recording process for the first time, and Ed was feeling um, hard done by Ryder's Block. Did they did they know those things before they chose Chad? Because if so, why would you give yourself yet another hurdle in the process? Or do they think maybe this new hurdle will be some sort of creative? Um, uh, uh, I don't know, magic potion, or maybe it will take their minds off of these these variables and help them focus in in an inverted kind of way. I, I don't because well, you know logic dictates that you'd want to make as many things as comfortable as possible if you're dealing with a bunch of uh you know variables. Well, you know, Eddie said that. I'm going to quote him here. We'd rather challenge our fans and make them listen to our songs than give them something that's easy to digest. There's a lot of music out there that's very easy to digest, but we never wanted to be a part of it. I just find that interesting because he he later remarked in an interview uh, that he, he didn't know why the record didn't do better. It's like, well, <laughs> you didn't have Brendan yeah, O'Brien producing <laughs> that, but I mean, you guys are intentionally making the music less accessible. Like, why are you surprised that it wasn't yeah. a bigger hit? What's interesting though, to me is that, um, Chad's favorite song from the recording process was fatal, which did not show up on the record. Right. They left sad off according to Jeff, because the band quote really doesn't write many pop records. Fine. It's not a pop record. It was a single pop song. Yeah. It's Brendan O'Brien. He's he's a big part of the reason why Better Man showed up on Vitology. I just don't see how they get through this recording session with Sad not ending up on the album if Brendan O'Brien is producing it. I just or anybody. Think, or, really? or anybody. But for sure, Brendan, I, I would be shocked if he wasn't a huge yeah. advocate for a song like that being included. Um, it, it's an entirely different record on so many levels. I think it's a, it's a different sequencing. I think there's different tracks on there. It, it's going to have a very different sound. Um, oh yeah, I mean, we haven't talked about the sonics of it at all. I mean, right? He's he's not doing the the stereophonic binaural recording. He's not doing that. Number one, he's right. going to mic the drums the same way he always does. You're going to get that direct, really th- well thought out, strong drum sound. It's it's gonna sound quite different. I mean, it'd be really interesting if they went back and had him redo the whole thing, as opposed to what we hear, you know, almost like a redux of of avocado in a sense. Yeah. Well, I mean, Just to it's, see. It's, would would you say parting ways of the girl, uh, sleight of hand, and nothing as it seems? I'm not saying they don't show up on the album, but I don't think they are are, are composed in the same way. I don't think that they. I feel like those songs were written and encouraged by Chad in to, to, to just allow the band to explore and create these different moods. I think it's possible Brendan maybe comes at it from a very different angle. Where well, those are the less, those are the least structured songs of the record. That's my point. I think yeah. he's going to, he's probably going to push more structure, which I completely changes the entire listening experience. Well, you know, I mean, from, from a recording perspective, but also just the way the songs are composed is it would probably be different. I, I don't, yeah, you know, he, he, even the songs that are more open 
like an indifference that he produced. It's still got structure to it. Right. It's still got an A, B, C, A, whatever, whatever the, you know, the arrangement is. It's, you know, you know, it's coming of the girl. The first verse is four lines. The second verse is one line. The third verse is two lines. Like it doesn't make any damn sense. There's, there's, there's like a chorus and a half. So right. like it's, it's all over the map. Uh, Parting ways is beautiful and it's sprawling yet, yet simplistic. And there's only, I think two verses in, in, in a chorus. Right, I guess it's technically two choruses, but again, very simple but sprawling, and there's just a lot of breath, breath and breadth, um, on some of those tracks, in a guardrailless, you know, just just go ahead and play, man, kind of attitude, which I I love for those songs because that's what we got, but that's not Brendan O'Brien, and I don't think it's Adam Casper either, so it's like right. I, I don't, I think, I feel like if those are our demos coming in, Brendan, and if the band is open to it, Brendan's steering them away from those being on the record because he would, he probably wouldn't think that it's consistent. He'd be like, yeah. you've got sad, you've got fatal. These songs are, make more sense with Break or Fall and God's Dice. And well, Ryan. God's Dice was actually added to the final sequencing. It, the original sequencing that they had with Chad started off with Break or Fall, followed by Insignificance. Mm. Uh, and then evacuation followed by sad. And then you had rival kicked up to number five. And then it was grievance light years way in the middle of the record. And well, this is 16, this tracks, 16 tracks. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, the, the, the back half is fascinating though. Cause you had, you know, fatal sleight of hand soon forget in the moonlight parting yeah. ways. And the album ended with education. God's dice wasn't there. So then Brendan comes in, they redo this sequencing. It was actually with that, that, that sequencing session with Brendan that sad was removed. So it makes me wonder like, well, you think he would have been no. the one to advocate for it. So it, it, it sometimes I, you know, it's fair to question whether or not that's a bit of a wrench in the theory, but uh, to get yeah. rid of education, to part ways with, you know, no pun intended there, to, with uh, fatal, you know, to remove sad. I wonder. Uh, I wonder if because they really enjoyed, because they chose Chad, and because he, he let them, um, or he fostered the environment to to have those open experimental songs, they really wanted those, and it would have maybe been either bloated and or unbalanced to room to it's, it's, it's bloated to obviously keep them all in as we saw Ooh, 16 track. tracks it's too, it's too big and then if you're going to pare it down but you're going to leave in fatal and in education and sad you've got to remove those beautiful open experimental songs and i, I feel like they probably were like we want those in uh, th this this jason i tell you I've, I've long long believed this this was as close as we probably could have and ever will get to pearl jams melancholy and the infinite status this was that that close to being a double album and i a part of me wishes they had just gone all in with it and and done it that way well you know give, what, Paul, give us two cds it's uh, i yeah. we'll, we'll do this another day because i think it's actually a really cool exercise but if you think about the the time of binaural through the riot act tour let's just call that 2000 2004 my years in college 2000 2004 those two albums are a very strange era for the band from a songwriting perspective from the sonics of the album to the mood to the what the tours gave us both great tours um 
they, they, if you could combine them into a double album, a side A and a side B, uh, I think they would be an interesting, talk about Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness, they could be an interesting double album of sorts. Mm-hmm. Um, but we could, we, could, we could talk about it another time. It's interesting. I, I, it's hard to make, because you, you brought up how you know Brendan was a part of that resequencing and got rid of a song that you think he'd want in. Um, but if he's there from the beginning, maybe we, we don't. Maybe, maybe the songs like "Of the Girl" and "Parting Ways" and "Sleight of Hand" don't go as far down the line to be included. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. What if, Jason? Yeah. What, what What do you guys think out there? I mean, this is this is probably a, a much longer conversation, and I wish we had um, a voice from the sessions to uh, kind of uh, ask and, and and say, you know, what. What was this moment like? Why did it go this way? Um, you know, why did they choose this this path as opposed to that okay. path? And uh, perhaps we'll have the opportunity at some point. But uh, for now, that th- this is all the pondering we can do. So uh, let let us know what you think would have happened uh, or may have happened if uh, Pearl Jam did not produce that record with Chad Blake, uh, and if they chose a Brendan O'Brien or an Adam Casper or somebody else. Um, yeah, interesting, interesting stuff. Now, considering what we do have from the album and to go to another exercise that we've done from time to time, one record that we have not done over under on is binaural. And I found this a challenging task. As did I. Um, I'm going to start, we're, we're going to go with overrated first, as we usually do. I'm going to, I'm going to start this one off because I, I need to see out of the gate that I honestly don't think that there are any overrated songs on the record. That was the hardest part for me. <laughs> I, there's, there's half the record's underrated, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, no, no one, no one is rating that. First of all, if you ask the average Pearl Jam fan, where does binaural live for you in your, in your, tiers or your or your ranking system most people probably have it toward the bottom i don't but most people do i do have an overrated song on this album well we have to choose one we did yeah um but i personally found this difficult because i don't think that any of them are rated so highly by anybody that Correct. anybody that anybody could really say that song's overrated. Agreed. But I had to choose something, and Correct. so I did the, the best that I could. And again, I don't think the song is overrated. But by the challenge we've presented ourselves, your best will have to be good enough. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> My choice is insignificance. Uh, okay. So I have to pick this one because we just did a Pearl Jam March Madness. Uh, type tournament on our discord and the, we did one where it was um, albums after no code were, were eligible so we ignored the first four albums so what's what's at the time you know what what was the group's favorite song best song if you will from those remaining albums and what's up are you asking me or are you no no, no I'm saying I'm saying this happened okay and insignificance, I think, finished second. If not, if not one overall, I actually I okay. cannot remember. It was a little while ago, but it was super high up. It's it's a great song. I really enjoy it. But is it the top two of the last two thirds of the band's career? I don't know about that. Um, 
I love most things about it, including the message, which only becomes more significant and obvious as the years go by. But when I think about the rest of the album, I, I, I cannot think of another song that's rated this high. And so when I think about how people, at least in our group here, rated it top 0.1% of songs since No Code, that kind of blew my mind. So I'm gonna I'm gonna say mainly because of that, and a little bit of googling on the I went on the forums and kind of read some people's thoughts on, on the song. I'm gonna say Insignificance is the most overrated song on the record, and I don't think it's not overrated at all. So there's there's that. What, what do you got? Nothing as it seems. Okay. Uh, it's I can the, see that. The, the first single from this record. It was the most successful song. Uh, from this album, at least on the American rock charts, as far mm-hmm. as I know. Um, it was an experiment, I think, you know, uh, Jeff called it a little ditty on a demo that I kind of played some hand drums on <laughs> and had this little song. And everybody starts, hey, you know, Stone says, hey, let's try this one. And you know, they start basically all just chiming in with it and doing their thing. And it, it, it becomes this exploration of mood. And... Um, it is indicative of that binaural recording technique for sure. It's like probably the, the mm-hmm. one of the poster songs for the technique on the record. Very atmospheric, uh, but I think that it it's on the greatest hits record. It's on Rivery Mare. So it, it for me, it, you know, yeah. when I really thought about it, I was like, well, if there's a choice here, that's easy. F- you know, it, it, a layup. It, I'm going to go with, with this one because. Um, <sighs> I feel like the song has, it's building towards something. Like Mike described the guitar as like uh, a plane going down, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So so where's the crash? Where's the, you know, that, that, that climax in the song? I feel like it just, you know, I was always waiting for that moment where Ed was just going to kind of, you know, let it go in a way that he does on, um, on, um, retrograde obviously in a different way right that's this this vaulted you know uplifting I mean, cathartic get is but, that is that megaphone line whisper yeah, through a megaphone like, but it's question. not um yeah you know if if you listen to the live version of thumbing my way from japan i forget which show it was i think it was our live cut actually he really lifts the chorus um, you know, if you think about Black, the, the line about uh, in the 90s when he'd sing the line about uh, children at play, right? Uh, it, it, there's there's these moments in performances sometimes where he just takes a section of the song and he just bellows it, you know what I mean? Just belts it out. I, I felt like the song was building towards that. It was, it, or maybe not building, that's the wrong word. It was spiraling towards that. Mm. And it never goes there, though. It's just this this atmospheric exercise, this exploration. Um, and I guess it's fitting in the sense that, you know, nothing as it seems, right? Uh, of course, lyrically yeah, maybe, maybe speaking... Maybe it's supposed to keep you suspended. It may be so. I mean, lyrically, it's about, about you know, Jeff's experience growing up in Montana. Um, and so I, I suppose that, you know, that was the whole point, right? There's this monotonous nature to it and... Uh, maybe it, it, there's no room, perhaps, given the the context of what the song is about, for that type of elevation uh, in, in terms of the performance. Uh, but musically speaking, it, it just felt like it was spiraling towards something, and I, I could have used this just 
this crash, so to speak, mm. of some kind. Um, and so I think because of its length and uh, the fact that it, you know, it's five minutes and 22 seconds long, it's almost six minutes long, you know, well, not almost six, but five and a half minutes long, that it doesn't ever quite go there. That's a long time to spend just kind of like circling, you know what I mean? So it, to me, it's not a plane going down. It's a plane that's just, just kind of like circling. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, perhaps the, it's, it's plane, in descent. It's in it's descent the, it, as it it's circles. The plane in, uh, it's, it's any taxi, of the planes taxi. in Die Hard 2. Exactly. Circling for an hour and 45 minutes. Right. In this case, five minutes and 22 seconds. So, yeah. uh, you know, if, if I have to go with a song that, that's overrated, uh, and again, to your point, and I think it's a salient one, it's not an overrated song in the sense that it's, you know, this, this massively beloved song that, you know, people are listening to all the time. And here we are kind of shaking our heads saying, come on, guys, you know, this, 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 we beat this one into the ground. It's really not as good as you think it is. No, it, it, it is a fantastic track on so many levels. Uh, but it is on the greatest hits album. And, See, that's uh, the, that's the problem with greatest hits records is that they'll they'll shoehorn anything that was a single, right? Uh, that's not that doesn't mean it's a hit. Well, I mean, in fairness to to the song, it uh, it peaked at number forty nine on the Billboard Top one hundred. Okay, you know, and uh, which is a disappointment when you consider that you know Yield was a, was a, a return to prominence for the for the band. Uh, as a follow-up, this one did not did not resonate commercially, but it, apparently it was done intentionally. Eddie said that when they released this song with that one, we felt like we weren't trying to fool people. It actually felt like we were offering them something fairly challenging. We obviously respect the audience. So if you're offering something challenging, you know what I mean? I think it's a greatest hit because it was why. You know, it, it's a greatest hit maybe because it was the single. Um uh, it, it it did chart three on the ba- uh, Billboard only because it was rock the, charts. Only because it was the single. Like uh, any song could have been 49. Correct. Yeah. So <laughs> I don't know. I do want to try something at some point where we where we re- go back and retroactively pick what the singles are from a record because I wouldn't have chose that one. <laughs> anyway, underrated. Underrated from this record. I, the whole one, the whole thing. I think maybe um, lots to choose from here. I'm going to go parting ways. Um, fantastic track. I-, I wish they would play it more. It- it's so powerful in its simplicity from a musical standpoint. Um, the message, the story is beautifully told without too many words. And the whole outro with the cello, it's just massive. It's, you know, it's the perfect album closer and would be a great main set closer if they brought it back. So we wouldn't have to hear Porch every show. <laughs> uh, uh, it's been played the least off of Binaural all time, save for Rival. And I find that to be a crime. And you think about a song that has two chords. Um, it's E major and a major, uh, a major with uh, you know just some little little single note spiels to change up the chord um, a tiny bit but it's basically just that uh, and then just the E just ringing out in whole notes and that ending it's just I think about the touring band DVD version mm-hmm. a lot yeah. it's just it's huge and I don't know that song happens with another producer but it's of all the underrated tracks, I think it's the most underrated um, of the lot. I think it's a really good call. I like that call. Um, 
compelling argument too. Uh, you you really could <laughs> just like spin a wheel wherever mm-hmm. the wherever the arrow lands. You know, um, uh, I'm gonna go with uh, Sleight of Hand for my choice only because I think of all the songs on the record, it's it's probably the one that is least liked by <laughs> most of the fan base, uh, and it's actually one of my favorite songs, if not my favorite song on the record. Uh, when Chad Blake says, I want you guys to just explore, you know, just like explore mood. This is this is the song that does that for me. This is the song that truly captures a feeling and a mood mm. and creates a sense of atmosphere. And uh, it's one of the, I, I mean, it's one of the only songs in the whole catalog that does so with the, 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 level, the levels of layers and textures that we see on a track like this. It is incredibly dense with atmosphere um you feel like you're underwater with it in a lot of ways or floating in some ethereal i don't know you know aurora borealis or something (laughs) which matches the album art right in a lot of ways (laughs) um i just think that it's 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 so emotive as a song um it's it's one of the best songs i think on this record and uh i have a lot of respect for it um, you, you don't really get the same effect live, and I've talked about this on the show. Where yeah. when they play yeah, it yeah. live, it just it, it loses all of that atmosphere, and uh, it's it's a shame because I think that you know, the one life cut that we have of it is the one that it comes closest to replicating some of that. Uh, but I, I don't think that it's it's a weak composition. I think uh, you know a lot of the uh, there's a, there's a um, that climax I was talking about that to me was missing on nothing as it seems you get a little bit of that towards the end of Slide of Hand yeah yeah no you, you and, and I think that that's that's part of what I like about it is that I, I you get the atmosphere but it actually goes somewhere with it you know it's very dark it's emotive like I said um it it, it achieves some things in the Pearl Jam catalog that I would not see, that we do not see again until Dance of the Clairvoyance in terms of experimentation and atmosphere and, and, and tone. So I think in a lot of ways, it's an incredibly underrated song for uh, its place in the catalog and, and what it achieves in that regard. Well, what do you guys think? You got you guys agree with uh, with Paul, a of hand? Do you, do you like my take on Parting Ways is there another track that you think is the most underrated of many underrated tracks? Do Sweet you Lou. hate Binaural? <laughs> Sweet yes. Lou. Yeah. I mean, again, some of you might be might be like, I don't care. This album bores the crap out of me. Fair play. I get it. I don't agree with you, but I get it. And that's fine. And I want to know how you feel about it. Either way, wherever you follow us online and give us give us your take. Yep. It's a, it's a circular conversation, not just me and Paul. All right, let's uh, let's move on then to our lyric of the week. All right, lyric of the week this week. Of course, we're going to the binaural record, and we're going to hit up of the girl. Girl. 
example of the girl. This is the the first first the one I mentioned that has four lines instead of two or one. What do you got here? You know, uh, this song to me, it's it's a stripped down version of what we see happening with nothing as it seems and with um, sleight of hand, where it's an exploration of mood and mm -hmm. there's a a, a a tonality to it, but at the same time, it has more of a jam band feel to it. Uh, in an unplugged way, obviously, but I, I think that it's such a beautiful compliment to a song like Nothing As It Seems. Uh, when you think about the meaning of the song, though, of the girl, uh, whether, you know, the speaker, so to speak, is is actually wasting time over and pining over something or someone that, you know, he can't have or lost, uh, whether it's rooted in, um, you know, like he fills it up with the love of of the girl, Right. Uh, it, it's there's a, a a longing in the song, um, but at the same time, you know, there's been speculation that the song has something to do with with drug addiction, you know, um, and that that's really just a big metaphor for something like that. I'm not so sure I agree with that take. Um, it's, it's a possible. Stone song. Stone hasn't written about drugs, has he? Uh, yeah, no, I don't think Relationships so. I understand, but right, you know what I mean. Um, I, I just I don't know if uh, if there's a play, you know, here if, if there's a a clever a clever pardon me euphemism uh, euf, uh, clever euphemism. There you go. Uh, stumbling over that one. Uh, I'm not so sure that that's necessarily what it is, as much as it is in a lot of ways about escape. You know, uh, whether whether forced and intended or unintended and uh, um, inevitable. Uh, but I do think that when I when I look at this particular set of lyrics, and what's fascinating about the song is that it, you feel like it's working its way towards a chorus, and it never quite gets there. Mm. Uh, and I think we talked about this with Stip at one point. Um, I find the song to be oddly accessible, despite that. I find it to be a tease, quite frankly. But well, it's when you have this, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, anybody it's, can bounce their head to this. You give, sure. me, you give me that stone groove. It's like, yeah. And there's a I mean, little it's, blues it's, it's in there. infectious groove, you know? Yeah. So um, these lyrics in particular though, you know, let's, let, let, let's, let's take a look at this. When, when you start thinking about where Eddie is going with this particular set of lyrics. Uh, and if you just look at them in isolation, which is what I think we have to do here, uh, as opposed to trying to see them within the context of the entire song, which I think is is the the more prudent and responsible way to go about this. But oftentimes, as you know, I like to look at the lyrics in isolation. Uh, so, it. Uh, oh, he deals them off of the top again. You know, so I start thinking about sleight of hand, uh, ties them off, fills it up with his past gets carried away, half his life, a hand-me-down, wasted away. What a great line that is. He fills it up with the love of a girl. Again, it's trying to fill a void in your life that you have squandered away, a life wasted, which is something we'll see explored uh, two records later, right? Um, and this, uh, this, this, this attempt made in vain to try and fill the cup with the love of someone that you lost or can't have anymore. And I think that it's 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 a song that really highlights the fact that if you don't find a way to fill that cup within yourself, um, what you think you feel for someone is not actually genuine and authentic. It's it's really more of a um, you know a uh, flawed attempt at filling the void within you that you fail to or or are struggling to. Uh, find ways to fill for yourself and 
I think therein lies kind of a secret to sadness is that, you know, you're, you're stuck in a circle and you're looking for all these external things to try and fill your cup, so to speak. Uh, but if, if you can't find a way to do so intrinsically, uh, you're kind of doomed to a cycle like this. So, yeah, I I'm, I'm with you. Um, I'll try and see if I can't be a little more specific. Um, but it's this, it's the same idea. I think, uh, I, I, I almost see this as, um, someone, I, I think it is someone who is obsessed unhealthily with a girl. Um, and I think that this person has got friends, family, they got prospects, maybe even a good job and he sheds them all so that he can spend all of his time focusing on a girl he will never have. Mm. So I don't think he lost anything. I think he pushes it away. Mm. He deals them off, ties them off. He does that. They don't fall away. Um, To me, he's, he's doing something to make his friends not want to be around him. He's, he's making sure they don't take up any more of his time. And maybe, maybe he's made up some excuse or maybe he's just a dick. Anything to ensure (laughs) any free time uh, out of necessary work is available to him. You know, obviously he's gotten carried away uh, as the second line suggests. So he's got this free time to think about and obsess over a girl that he cannot have. You know, actually maybe, maybe he had her once, you know, maybe she's from the past, but that ship has sailed and it ain't coming back, but he doesn't accept that. And that's the big thing. He doesn't accept what he cannot have, regardless if he had it once before or has just always pined for it. Now that third line, half his life, a hand me down, man, for me, that says that he's had a life of privilege. He he's not had this struggle for too many things. You know, he's, he's never been poor or destitute. He's been comfortable, maybe to the point of entitlement. And what has he done with that leg up? Nothing. He he's wasted it on what? Maybe drugs. Maybe there's a drugs reference right there. Maybe, maybe it's hard. It's hard to say, but, um, but all these holes in his life that he's created for himself. He's had this opportunity, great friends, a job, you know, uh, generational wealth flowing on down, like a comfortable, good life. And he has thrown that all away because he is completely focused and obsessed with this person he is just not going to ever have. And it's super depressing to think that somebody with, you know... We talk about, I'm not going to go on a tangent here, but we talk about people who have thrown their lives away for like fentanyl and are now homeless and like can't get out of that spiral. Right. This isn't that dark, but essentially what this person is doing is throwing away a beautiful life because they are focused on this drug of a person they're never going to have. Right. Luckily, you can get out of that relatively unscathed, I, th- I would hope, M- much easier than you could a, uh, you know, class two narcotic. but. It's, uh, it's depressing nonetheless. And, uh, for, I think for a long time, I did not really understand what the hell stone was trying to say here. And it took me a number of rereads, um, to be like, maybe it's, oh, maybe it's that, maybe it's that. Ooh. Okay. So yeah, I think, I I think this is where he's going. I I could be wrong. I'm curious as to what you guys out there think. Um, I think we both agree that it's, you know, about 
an obsession with something that you can't have, but whether or not the, uh, the, 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 the space was created by the person or whether things just fell away from them is another story is another question to be answered. I'm not sure, but I think, I think he pushes it all away, hmm. which is even more depressing. Yeah, it is. <laughs> what do you guys think? Let us know in the comments. Let us know in the discord of the girl. Tricky one. Tricky one. All right. Well, let's check out the best live version of this bad boy in our live cut of the week. Ready? All right, live cut of, 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 of the girl. This one has been played 52 times since 2000. Where and when are we going to go? Uh, surprise, surprise. Mount Baker Theater, Bellingham, Washington, May 10th, 2000.
This is the uh, second time, I, I, from memory, the second time from this record alone that we have chosen the first performance ever of a song to be the live, live cut. Um, well, let me explain why for this please one. Please do. Please do. Great show, by this, the way. It is a great show. It was a vault, yeah. right? Uh, it was. It became a vault release, yeah. I think it was the, the I forget which one it was, but um, this was one of the warm-up shows before they set out to Europe for the first leg of the 2000 tour. And when you think about Of The Girl as a song, it is essentially a, it, it's, it's a workshop. It's, it's a live jam. It's, it's exactly the kind of setting where a song like this would thrive. It's exactly mm-hmm. the kind of setting where a song like this would find its place. No expectations. And, and there's no expectations. You have no clue what you're going to hear. This is the first song of the night. Uh-huh. And exactly. And, and Everyone, hear, everyone's uh, accepting of it. it. That was the thing is that yeah. people were just excited to hear Pearl Jam and they're hearing something new and they don't know what it is. And it just sounds cool. And they're grooving and they're cheering. And it's, it would become a thing later. You know, it's, it's opened uh, a number of sets. Uh, but it, I think this was the moment that was born. This was the moment where I was like, wow, oh, this is actually a really cool way to open a show. And, you know, this, this, let, let's just jam out, you know, let's just, let's just practice this thing and have some fun with it. And I think they nailed it because that's the spirit of the song. That's the essence of the song. And so a setting like this it closely aligns with that arrangement. Um, if, if anything, it mirrors that, that kind of an arrangement. And so I thought that uh, as a performance, you know, that sometimes the first time is the best time, you know, um, and it, that the vibe was, was nice and loose and it was, it was, you know, chill and it was perfect. So I would say uh, it, you know, I'm going to go uh, with this one. You you hit a lot of the, uh, the, the buzzwords I had in my notes here, uh, ah. chill, slower tempo. Um, it's got a really cool call and response guitar thing between stone and, uh, Mike at the end there. Jeff's outro baseline is really, really cool. It's a great performance, and um, the yeah the the moment six days before the record came out, uh, no one's heard this song before because it was early internet days, right? <laughs> you know, as it was. So, I think this is a great choice, and I wonder what y'all think about it. What you think about? Um, I mean, again, fifty-two, not a lot, but the first one, okay. We'll take it. Uh, before we uh, say goodbye, I do want to pay a little respect to someone in the rock and roll community who passed on recently. That is um, graphic artist Frank Kozik. He, uh, like the Ames brothers, like Brad Clausen, like Emek, like a ton of people have over the years, he did some posters for Pearl Jam. And I wanted to take a few minutes here and just kind of reminisce on some of the ones that he did um i'm going to share them here in our, in our chat so paul and i can both look at them no oh. how the hell do i do that share screen here we go so let's start with um what is this this is going to be calgary 2011 very pixelated they opened they had mud honey open forum Mm-hmm. This is uh, September 21st, 2011, Calgary at the, the old Saddle Dome where the Flames play. What is it? That was that Karl Marx? Yeah, Lennon? Looks like Lennon? Lennon, I think. Lennon. He's got like, what is, what is that? Like a, like a, so you can hear better? Yeah. Uh-huh. Why, why Lennon for Calgary? I think it was Lennon. I can't, I mean, half his face is covered, sh- shrouded in shadow. So I, I think it's Lennon. 
but um, very, very unique. Very, very unique. Uh, what else we got here? We have got, let's go with, oh, this is a cool one. Classic 93 tour um, <sighs> with Neil Young, the uh, Native American with the American flag behind, big Neil Young on top. Um, was a in Booker T and the MGs mm-hmm. with very special special guests Pearl Jam and Blind Melon. This one is for uh, this is September fifth, seven p.m. Uh, at the at the Gorge and Labor Day the next day, September sixth, in Portland. Who would have thought Pearl Jam would one day release a rather extensive live album at the Gorge themselves? Yeah. That was uh, what one of four appearances at the Gorge, I believe, over time. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think I actually saw this poster at um, Clayton's uh, memorabilia so shop. Yeah. I believe yeah. it, I believe it was there. So that was really cool. It's a famous one. Uh, it was actually up on the walls in um, Easy Street, which is pretty sweet. Yeah. This one here is uh, 2012 at the Ziggo Dome in Amsterdam. Uh, they played two shows in 2012 at the Ziggo Dome. Uh, this is the second of the two, I believe. Those two shows were fantastic, and this is dope. This is like some sort of what would you call it? some sort of a green monster with his eyes bulging it, out? It, it's it's a monster Viking riding a demonic narwhal. That's right. Oh, it's a laser. I didn't realize the laser eyes. We got laser eyes. It's got like a. It's like it's a uh, got an arrow through its jugular. Mm-hmm. It looks like. Uh, it's, it's like, it's like an Illuminati eye, a, a, like, a sword with sausage links through it. I, I, this is just—it it is a mind trip. There's a lot happening here. There's a lot. Oh yeah, the sausage link. What is up with that? <laughs> I can't really read what the little stickers say on the sword. Uh, it says Valhalla or bust. Okay. And it says, "Ask me about my grandkids." <laughs> <laughs> and in, in the background is uh, a bunch of windmills on fire. Yeah. Okay. Frank, yeah, crazy. All right, what else we got here? What else? Let's go with Oakland 2013. This one's pretty, uh, pretty classic, too. Oh, the, man, like the, this is like a vortex one where it's like an optical illusion. You, you stare at the eyes, you get like sucked in. <laughs> I can't because they're like right on top of each other, so and they're, they're you know, they're inverted. The eyes are in so like once two are looking up, two are looking down. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like that's it's how like a, it sucks a, you in, you know. It's a mirror image. And then he's got the blood coming down from his uh it's like a mm. cowboy with an arrow through his hat. An evening with Pearl Jam. What is he is he what is he holding? Some sort of plant or bug or uh, yeah, it's <laughs> I don't know what the, what that is. He, Frank, you're a weird dude, man. Oracle Arena, November twenty sixth, twenty thirteen, Oakland. I do remember that one. Yeah, the former home of the Golden ago. State Warriors. Let's that's true. All right, let's go to the last one here and the most famous Pearl Jam poster ever made. Uh, yeah, Houston. That's, that's, that's I got that one up on the wall. Not an original, of course. You'd be a very no, lucky man. Not that an original. <clears throat> um they had a recreation of this uh at the Mopop. Mm. But um, yeah, this one, this is the uh, the Soundgarden Pearl Jam uh, collab poster. The uh, the beautiful uh, tattooed girl moaning with her eyes closed, looking toward the sky, topless. Well, you can't see anything, but topless. Mm-hmm. Thursday, April thirtieth, at the Unicorn, 
in uh, I believe, I'm pretty sure it's Houston. Thirty-three hundred one East Tidwell at fifty-nine. Classic, classic poster. Maybe the most famous one of all time, and that's saying something. Considering, I think you only did these five, and uh, Ames Bros have been long the uh, what you what you think of first when you think of Pearl Jam posters. But Frank, you made some weird shit, and we appreciate it. Yep, you certainly did. <laughs> and uh, the legacy lives on. Here we are still talking about it. Yep. Well, there you go, guys. Uh, that is the episode. We really appreciate you listening. And for anybody who has uh, left a review, thank you very much. You are in the running. If you'd like to be in the running, Paul, what do they do? You just got to feed that algorithm by rating, reviewing, and subscribing on your podcast platform of choice. You wanted to say prefer, but you did not. Yeah, I know. I, I, I thought about it. And I was like, oh, I'm going to change it up this time. I'm going to podcast platform of choice instead of preferred. Very succinct. The Chad Blake and you would have said preferred and been a little bit more elaborate. That's you true. Went, you That's went for the Brian version. Well, thank you anyways uh, for that, Paul. How and long <laughs> do our, our wonderful listeners have? They to got write, one write week left, Paul. One week left. One, well, I mean, they could, they could always write, rate, review, and subscribe. But if yeah. they want to get in on this book action, they've got to go ahead and do it before June one so you've got about a week first no, you, you, have two, you, you have two weeks you got two weeks left sorry two i misspoke earlier two weeks june 1st two weeks so there's no confusion and then we'll pick and uh you hopefully you'll get it by flag day so that's fun yeah and if you're outside this country and you don't know what flag day is welcome to america we have a day for flags <laughs> thank you to our patrons thank you to whoever's bought a t-shirt if you want one let us know and uh, with that, we'll see you next week. And until we do, you've been listening to The State of Love and Trust. Love and Trust.